Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish tech news. Today's Irish Tech News Podcast is presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. And you can follow me on Twitter at TECDR. Hi there. Welcome to the Arch Technics Podcast. Today I'm talking with Fergal O'Neill, CEO of Gamma Location Intelligence Services. How are you doing, Fergal? I'm great, Ronan. Good to have you in the podcast. Now, before we start, tell me a bit about your background, so look at who you are. Sure. Um, well, I suppose you could say that I'm a, I'm a failed town planner, Ronan, and that I... I finished a, a master's in, in town planning in UCD in 1993 and at the time couldn't find employment because it was a very depressed economy at the time. So I, I joined a startup called Gamma with the intention of just remaining there for six months till I got a proper job in town planning and 27 years later I'm still here. Yeah. So um, a colleague of mine bought the company from the founders in 1998. Uh, we established another company called BizMaps, which is Trades' auto address in mm-hmm. 2000. And that's currently run by my, my business partner. And their auto address, incidentally, was, was heavily involved in the creation of the Airco database in Ireland, the mm-hmm. Irish postcodes. So, um, so I run the, the Gamma business, and uh, that's, I suppose, where, how I've got to where I am now. And tell me, what does Gamma Location Intelligence Services do? Um, well, Gamma, I suppose, uses location intelligence, yeah. or, or as it used to be called GIS, um, really to reduce the financial risk for our clients. So um, we work in lots and lots of different sectors, but this was the, tr- the strongest sectors we're in there would be insurance and retail. So in insurance, typically we we help underwriters and claims department assess their underwriting risk and things like their claims fraud. Um, In retail, we would help retailers plan, monitor, optimize their retail networks, picking the best locations for opening and closing stores by analyzing and modeling local market data um, using our Storecast cloud-native platform. Um, But we also work in lots of other you know, anywhere really that needs a map, lots of other sectors. Um, for example, we've, we'd have bespoke location intelligence systems in, 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 in telecoms, in outdoor advertising, in distribution. And even recently, we've got involved in the, 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 battle, the battle against climate change with, by, by working with a startup called BRWOW to de- develop Ireland's first um, domestic retrofit analysis tool um, guiding homeowners through the whole retrofit process, showing the benefits and costs in, in, in implementing different measures, measures to, to retrofit their homes. Because I guess BER ratings are very important now when you come into buying a selling property. They are, absolutely, and they, they've been proven to, to increase the value of your home. But, you know, more importantly, you know, it's, 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 it's an awful waste of, of resources in terms of, of, of for the homeowner and obviously then the, the obviously the, 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 the the environmental impacts of it, but there's so many grants and savings now possible um, 
by retrofitting the homes. And it's been seen really as one of the main uh, instruments in tackling climate change. Um, so we're delighted that we were involved in, in, in producing this technology, which is now live on the on POST and SSE electricity sites um, called BROWOW. So that's been a really exciting project for us. Yeah, tell us more about what work you do with insurance companies. Well, insurance companies, um, in insur- insurance sector, I suppose we we provide our peril finder range of services, our web services, apps, um, risk models. So insurance companies would would use those services in two main sections, in underwriting and in, and in claims management or claims processing. Mm-hmm. So underwriters would lose, use our peril finder tool to assess the environmental risk around a property. So just say you're looking for cover for your home. Yeah. Um, you enter in your address or, or tell the person over the phone in the insurance company your address. They'll enter that into one of our systems and it'll immediately pinpoint where your property is and then it'll compare that to a whole range of other models to show the, to show the underwriter if there's any risk of flood, subsidence, yeah. crime, things like that at your particular location so that they can price your, your policy accordingly. Um, it also calculates for them something that's called accumulated risk in the insurance sector. So it shows them, have they any other policies close to your location as well? So that if an event happened along your street, they might be really exposed. And insurance companies don't like to be overexposed yeah. geographically. So our systems would report on that. Um, and in claims, we would um, we would enable the claims department to fast-track claims by identifying claims that were in areas where events had happened. And events I'm talking about, like floods, things like that. So, you know, if, 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 if a claim has come in, coming in from the top of a mountain when, you know, a flood has, has occurred, it might be one of the ones that they might spend more resources investigating than, than one that's obviously in the core, in the, cent- the centre of where we know the flood has occurred. So it allows for quicker, better, better service to the, 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 the insurance company's customers. Um, and ultimately, a, a, a better a better service. Do you use smart contracts when it comes to, to flooding? Like, for example, if you got if you got a client, uh, check up as a client that basically is in a place that's known to have flood risks now and again, and they might yeah. say the first ten percent of, of the damage that occurs is covered by us, and it knows when that and it knows anything anything after that is not going to be covered. So what they can do is it, it can tell insurance company it's hit ten percent. After that, any damage occurred, we don't cover. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're, I'm, sure, I'm sure that is the case. Um, I suppose we focus on, on letting them know what the risk is, and then yeah. they determine their own pricing models internally. I mean, there's, there's, there's another new model, which is which has become sort of very much in vogue recently, called parametric insurance, which I don't know if you've, you've come across, but um, that's, that's another emerging model where, mm-hmm. The insurance company will basically act almost like like a like a bookie, like a paddy power yeah. of insurance, where they'll basically say, "We we we we'll, uh, we'll give you odds on an event occurring, and if that event occurs, we pay out without assessing whether you've incurred any risk yeah. on your side." Um, and that's become popular, particularly for NGOs in, in places around the world. It, it comes from that sort of background, yeah. where if a hurricane hits a, a group of islands, for example, they can claim under a parametric policy without having to work out what each individual householder on the island has suffered in terms of losses. So 
this is becoming um, a new model for for um, for serving um, insurance. So it sounds interesting. How long has this model been around? Or is it it's fairly new? Well, it's been around a while, but I suppose they're expanding the potential uses of it. As I said, it used to be sort of focused on on, on providing insurance to to. To, to countries as a whole or to, you know, NGOs or people yeah. like that. So, so really, really so that they could get aid to people quicker than the traditional insurance model where, you know, a person's loss has to be assessed and it's a slow process to getting the actual funds. Yeah. So it, it, it used to be provided about it, but now it's been provided, for example, in the UK, for example, the, um, for example, there's a, there's a company called Flash Flood yeah. um, that is providing parametric insurance to commercial uh, or is it flood flash sorry I think it's the other way around flood flash mm. they're providing parametric insurance to commercial um, properties where they put a sensor outside the commercial property and once the flood waters reaches a certain level that has been agreed in advance with the, with the, the policy holder they get paid out Yeah. so it's, it's pain on the basis of the event happening as opposed to the, incur the loss incurred. And it, it provides much quicker, less contentious claims management than the traditional insurance model. So it's been favoured by some areas and, and some, some, some niche parts at present, but the general view is that it, it's expected to, to grow and to become a, a more significant part of the insurance model. Well, I guess if you see parts of Australia and parts of the UK where you get floods, I guess it means that the business can get back up and working sooner than than than, than later. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I mean, insurance companies want to do that anyway. They want they want to process genuine claims yeah. very quickly, um, because it, it leads to better customer service, happier customers who stay with them. Um, so anything that can improve that, I think, is is of interest. Um, so. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 becoming popular in 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 flood management like that. It's becoming popular in, in, in agricultural insurance, yeah. where you know sensors, uh, um, satellite imagery can identify where droughts or floods have occurred in agricultural land by by you know very very quickly, and they can they can basically provide very quick payments to to farmers where where they've incurred that sort of weather. And I guess the sensors more or less can guarantee that there's no fraud involved. And also your, your imagery, your software that you guys provide can help that as well along the way. Show yeah, going on. A but a combination of sensors, imagery and independent records like the Met Office and, and people like that, um, and Met Aaron, you know, the, the, there's independent records of, of, of water heights, of things like that happening geographically. And if you put all that together, you can come up with a pretty good model for, for delivering the, these type of products. Because you get at times in the past few weeks where they've been saying every so often it's going to be a, a, high, a weather warning and a predicting high wind or snow, things you weren't expecting you know, or, or could be floods. With your technology, you can more or less see what that's happening and are in place and more or less let them know this is going to happen and we can help prepare for this yeah i mean once once you basically compare the information that's been gathered on the ground by the sensors or, or, or government sources for example um and you you can compare that back to the actual locations of the policies yeah you know that that's what what location intelligence systems can do can very quickly provide sub-second you know information to the to the to the insurance companies that this has happened and this person is covered for us yeah because I, I guess right now it won't be insurance and when they're paying their insurance policy, 
Nine times out of, out of ten, uh, every nine times out of every ten years, they're going to have no no claims. But the one year they want to claim, that's that's what's going to affect them most when they, when they don't get it seen to. Well, exactly, and I mean our. our I mean, the recent contention over the whole parametric, or sorry, the, the pandemic payments yeah. um, shows you that, you know, it, it, it's a situation that neither the insurance companies are, the, are those insured um, uh, want to be in. Yeah. And I suppose the parametric model is interesting in that in that situation, it would just have agreed if, if a pandemic is last for a certain number of months in your area, you get paid this amount. Yeah. No argument, no discussion. Whereas, you know, uh, the traditional insurance contracts that were there seem to be a little bit vague, and that's what caused really the the issue around it is the vagueness. Because they might say act of God, but what is an act of God? If you ask that legally, each lawyer you talk to will give you a different definition of what it is. No one knows exactly how that yeah. it is. So you get that scenario. Yeah. I'm talking about the pandemic. How have you coped with the pandemic? Well, we've we've coped remarkably well, I, I would say, um, in that. All our solutions that we deliver to our clients are, are, are cloud native. Um, all our internal solutions are cloud native. So on March 15th, we closed our offices. We haven't been back since. Yeah. Um, we, we tested it for one day the week before in anticipation of it happening. Everything worked 100%. And we've had 99.95 or something percent operation in our systems over the course of the yeah. pandemic. So... Really, from a technical point of view, it's been great. We've developed a lot of new products. We've done a lot of research. Um, we have carried out new projects for our existing clients. The, I suppose the one challenge I think I've, we, we've found is, is, is generating new business and closing new contracts with people that we've never had a relationship with before. That's been a challenge. And it was funny, I was watching some young people on on, on, a, on a, a chat show there recently in, in Ireland and they were talking about dating apps yeah. and they were saying how, you know, how difficult it was in lockdown over dating apps because, yeah. they, you know, you don't get that sort of, you know, real relationship building that you get by meeting the people in person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's similar in, in, in winning new business in that you can do so much over Zoom or over Teams, but, you know, creating a relationship with somebody brand new, um, in, to convince them to, to, to I suppose to, to start a major project is difficult. Yeah. Um. So that's been challenging. Um. And I think some of our other potential projects were were mothballed because, let's be fair, IT departments in 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 all sectors and not only in insurance have a lot in their plate in terms of providing infrastructure to for home working. So some other projects have been put on the back foot. Um, but overall, been delighted with how how our team have have dealt with it. Yeah, I guess you said things put 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 bed because you're a bit worried about security security and everything else, and how secure it would be. So stick with what you know works best. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. People aren't going to move, are much less li- are much less likely to move supplier, um, and are are less likely to go, you know, start a new project perhaps. Um, but I th- I'm already seeing that that's changing in 21. You know, people are coming, getting back in touch, saying, "Right, that stuff we talked about in 1919. Let's get going again." You know, I guess now because because they've spent so time, so much time in lockdown and we're all working, they don't know what they can and can't do. So they now uh, feel they can take risk of, of finding something new. 
Yeah, and I think I think the longer the longer it went on, they realised that you know we can't just not <laughs> yeah we can't just not do new stuff and continue what we're doing. We have to do new stuff because this could be around a lot longer than, than any of us are predicting. Yeah, and I guess because you spent so much time using what you already have, and, and now you know that it works, and, and you know any breaches or risks have been fixed. You figure now it's time you can go and start something new because we know what we're doing. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I, I could think about it, 10 years ago you couldn't do this because technology wasn't really there. No, and I mean, I think I think we're very lucky that cloud computing came in when it did. Yeah. And a lot of people went remote because I can't see how this could have been done, you know, with with the way it was before that. Like earlier this morning, I was, oh, uh, my brother went down for a while and I was lucky I could use my, my mobile phone uh, as, as a modem. Now imagine 10 years ago doing that. So you use your mobile phone for a modem, you'd be paying a lot of money for the data. You're not anymore. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's, absolutely. it's, it's and technology is that, that right, right now, when someone says work from home, you, you don't suddenly feel that, oh, will it work? Will it work? You know it's going to work because you've got broadband in your home. You've got the technologies that can do it. All you need is basically just the will to be able to work from home. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and I really don't think we'll go back certainly in our companies, the way it was before in terms of, of being permanently five days a week in the office. Um, I think it's going to be a hybrid approach for us in terms of some office and some homeworking because you know, we've, shown, we've shown, or my team have shown it works. We, our, our productivity has been just as high, if not even higher, yeah. than it was when it was in the office. So, um, as I said, the, really the only downside, I think, is, 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 is building relationships with clients. I think needs you know more sort of face-to-face meetings, but... Outside of that, I think I think it's been well doable. Yeah, I can see maybe one day you're using holograms, hologram glasses to actually meet your clients. Yeah. So a bit like like a Hololens that the Microsoft has, or or, or, or Oculus Rift. You put it on, yeah. put it on on your face, and next thing you, know, you meet the person, you're seeing them in uh, virtually, and it's like you're there in the room with them. So you can shake hands and talk with them, and you wouldn't know you're yeah. not, you wouldn't know you're at home. You could be anywhere exactly. in, 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 where you live. It could be in your bedroom. You could be in your back office, living room. No one know, no one know where you are. But virtually, you're there yeah. with this person talking, and it feels like that could be the next, next stage of this. You wouldn't know. Oh, could absolutely, could absolutely. I still think, I still think, you know, some of the more traditional industries and companies are still a little bit wary about dealing with companies unless they know that they have a head office and they have this sort of yeah. you know physical physical presence that they can go go and visit i think fully online businesses there's there's a bit of a culture change still needed for them to be as trusted to the same extent yeah and that's why i think you know that's why i think that that's winning of new business solely over you know over 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 um team and teams yeah. and uh Zoom is still a little bit away. It was like oh, 30 years ago when Amazon first started, more or less. They, they started in the mid-90s. When they started, they were trying to replace bricks and mortar stores, and they did that. So in the long term, you might see companies be new Amazon that they're doing everything virtually. Well, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's possible because technology is there. And, and in some cases now, it's basically, it's the person you're dealing with rather than the company. If you know them and they've got a good reputation, they shouldn't matter where they're based. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Um, but I think there's a, there's an opportunity to provide a little bit more comfort to to companies doing yeah. business purely remotely, um, in terms of 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 of, of understanding suppliers. Um, and I think that 
wrongly or rightly, I think that comfort is, is currently given by perhaps visiting them or, you know, meeting the person face to face, visiting their offices. You get an impression of the company of, of what they're doing. Because yeah, I used to do a lot of podcasts face to face when if they're based in Dublin, and by doing that, I might get a tour of the, of the business and see how it's working, meet some of the, some of the employees, and then from that I get a feel of what the company's like. But when you're mm. doing it like I'm doing that virtually, I don't get that feel as such. Yeah, exactly. Because at times with you, the- you might get a background of, of an image of people I'm interviewing, and the background is something that uh, that is might be business based or non business based. But that still won't give me an idea of what you guys do or everything else. Yeah, that's yep. fine. Yeah. So, uh, other than that, uh, how how important is location intelligence, especially during the current pandemic? Um, I think the pandemic has certainly made lo- location and intelligence more visible to the general public. Yeah. Um, there's been lots of digital mapping apps and dashboards that have shown the. The, the the progression of the pandemic geographically where the, where where is the where have the, where have the cases and deaths occurred um, so I think it's really drilled home how when we map out data and show it on a map it really gets you know through messages and and and, and, and patterns um, even even down to some of the more gimmicky ones like you know what how far does my five kilometer zone go the, you know showing people how far they can travel mm-hmm. um, I suppose the the contact tracing, whole whole aspect of contact tracing by using the locational elements, location intelligent elements in mobile devices is, is obviously being shown and been very, very important. Um, but I think I think some of the critical uses of location intelligence will come in after the pandemic is over. Yeah. Reach has obviously been a, a big sector that's been um, they'll have a requirement to rebuild to replan, to reanalyze their whole store networks yeah. in this whole new omnichannel world. So I think analyzing retail networks is going to require location intelligent inputs, um, evaluating and analyzing local employment, economic inputs by area, all of that sort of rebuilding and analysis and redesigning our, our services um, for the world that we're in now. Um, which was coming anyway, in fairness. I don't think you can blame the pandemic for the yeah. decline of retail. Um, I mean, online shopping was really the, the core, at the core of that, but it certainly speeded up the process. So there's a lot to be done um, with location intelligence in that area now, and I think most retailers are, are, look, are using it to look at it. And I guess also you can tell them about footfall in the area. You can, you can give them an idea of if it's good or bad. Yeah, we can tell them footfall in the area. We can tell them the, the profile of the area, how much they're cannibalizing, which is a lovely word, cannibalizing their, uh, their other stores by yeah. being present there. Uh, what would the impact be of closing a particular set of stores? Um, you know, which would impact the, their convenience to their customer base? How, how both the online and offline um, impacts of their stores um, are, are, are working in tandem? Like, I suppose counterintuitively, what we find now is that um, physical stores lead to a proximity to physical stores leads to an increase in online activity yeah. for a brand, which you'd almost think it's counterintuitive. That if you didn't have a store nearby, you'd, you'd go to less online. Yeah. But it's actually the opposite. So, you know, retail chains have to, I suppose, redesign their whole delivery model from online and physical stores by, by comparing all this information together. Um, 
So it can include transactional, anonymized transaction data, all sorts of other other data feeds and footfall, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, early capitalized. I'm thinking of Starbucks, like in Dublin. Mm-hmm. You get so many all right in the same area. So you yeah. want, you want to make sure that in the future, if you're, if you're a retail company, you don't have that scenario where why would they go to to your shop in in Street A when Street B is closer to them? Well, absolutely, yeah, and I mean, a lot of that might be based on some some sort of you know simpler model that's just based on footfall. If there's a number of people going by that location, they believe that a certain number will turn in. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there there there, there will be a whole redesign of of retail really once we get back back up and running, um, which will will really brands will try and be as convenient to their customers as they possibly can. Because they realise that there's nothing more convenient than online. So if they're going to have stores, they have to be convenient. They have to serve a purpose. Um, there is a purpose for them in that consumers still want to go in and touch and feel a product or maybe yeah, get quicker delivery of it. Yeah. I suppose the, the other driving factor there, Ronan, is that it's very expensive to, to deliver products you know, yeah. to, to people online entirely. If they can get more and more people to go in and collect products in, in physical stores, it actually is cheaper for distribution. So there's a push and pull factor for retaining these stores. Yeah. But there'll be fewer. There'll be fewer of them. I think that's that's definitely going to be the case. And I guess when a fewer of them, those companies are going to be saving money. But the problem is, how do you deal with the unemployment aspect of that as well? That's another thing. In terms of of, of the the numbers of employment yeah. that we we'll see lost because yeah. of retail. Is it? Yeah, the stores yeah. Close. I mean, yeah. I mean that, that that inevitably that's going to happen. Um, and I mean it's it's just it's just one of those industry, you know, changes, landscape changes that we're going to have to find an alternative, you know, employment for them. But I suppose you know it, it, what happens is there, there might be there will be job losses in 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 physical stores, but there'll probably be job hires. And online, yeah. you know, in, in in the warehouses, in the in, in lots of other things that come out of online. I mean, you saw how many people Amazon had to hire during during the, the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so they'll be redistributed. But I, I think certain certain aspects of retail are, are, are growing. Like grocery is absolutely flying, um, and and some of the online retailers are looking for physical stores now as well. So I think we'll see a lot more, you know, p- what they call pure play retailers, which are totally online. We'll see more of them opening physical stores because there's something you get from having a physical store you can't fully get with an online presence okay. only. Amazon's got a few stores in America where you go in and when you buy buy anything you buy, it's scanned. And when you leave, it's paid in your account you already have with them. That's right, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's feeding into this whole drive towards making it really convenient for the yeah. customer to, to transact. You can go in and just pick up the thing and walk straight out effectively. Yeah. Um, and that will happen more and more. Um, there's there's lots of other online brands who are who are buying up, you know, traditional physical store brands, um, and they will ultimately look for for physical uh, for a number a smaller number of physical stores as well to to supplement the brand. Yeah, like when you go shopping now. Years ago, it was cash, then it was credit card, debit card, and now you can use your watch or your phone to pay for stuff, which is very easy. So. A long time is to make sure that the customer goes through a painless scenario when they're shopping. They don't have to worry about anything else. Exactly, and and that should be the that should be the goal of any brand 
in terms of its physical and online presence. Make it easy for the customer to deal with you. Make sure they don't have to travel too far. Make sure they don't have to wait too long in line. And make sure it's a good experience, whether it's online or offline. And that's where you can, because you can more or less help the, your clients by making sure that when the customer goes there, the place isn't too overcrowded and it's in the right place so there's parking and everything that's available if they have to park to shop. So. Yeah, I mean, we, we produce models, spatial convenience models. So we basically produce models which show our clients how convenient every single neighborhood in the country is to their particular store network. Yeah. And they can identify deserts where, you know, there might be people, but there's none of their stores nearby. And, and we can identify which of their competitors in those locations are really winning business because of that. Yeah. Because in, cert in certain sectors, convenience is absolute king. Like grocery, for example, it nearly maps identically with market share. The more convenient your brand is in an area, the higher your market share will be. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it, it's an easy thing to, to, to tackle. You either open stores or you, or you locate cleverly. Yeah. And I guess basically you have the spot, for example, if, if you know there's one store isn't doing that well, you figure we can close that store because we've got another store nearby that can that can, that can take the loads, and we can exactly. redeploy our staff into that into that store. Exactly, and yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things that most store networks are going to have to do now is to is to reassess and to what they call right size their network. Yeah. Um, but the simple thing to do is to just look at the the, the lowest performing stores and close them. It's not the right thing to do because you might find that you'll close two low stores, but they, that will, as you say, drive business to the third one in that area, and they'll actually be a really good performing store once the other two are closed. Yeah. So it's a much more complicated decision-making process now than just choosing the bottom performers. And you also have to take into account your online customers as well and what access they'll have to physical stores as well. And also, I guess, if you close one store down, you think, I'll get my business in this store, so I'm going to redeploy my staff from the old store to the new store to cope with the demand as well. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So there's not really job loss touching it. And he said earlier, they can be redeployed into, into the online service as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, even in, even in, even in redesigning stores, I mean, the, the, the belief now is that there'll be much more in, in, in supermarkets, for example, that are, you know, in the back, in the in the background, in the back room, the the, the sort of warehousing, the processing part, yeah. and less less front house space, because um, it's not needed. They're too big. Many of them are too big, um, especially with the changing demographics. Yeah. Elderly people don't like walking around huge, big, you know, no. supermarkets. Um, so you know, a lot of the goods that don't need to be up front could be ordered online and collected when you're leaving, yeah. like tin products, things like that. Um, so there's much more of a focus now on on fresh food experiences. That's in grocery, but, you know, in in, 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 in other sectors, it, it, it's simply looking for a more, what they call, uh, experiential sort of um, situation. Yeah, and before, before we finish, what are your future plans? Well... I suppose innovate and grow is our is our two key words. Yeah. We we we're, we're constantly innovating, and we we like to be pushing the envelope out in terms of location intelligence and AI. Um. So we're we're certainly doing that. We're growing into other markets. We're now in the UK, so we're we're trying to grow our, our market share there. We're looking at other European markets. We're looking at Spain at present as well. Um. 
I suppose it would be important to me to keep my my team happy and healthy, certainly in the in the current climate. Um, it's been really exciting being involved in tackling climate change, so I'd like to continue that yeah. um, through our Be Your Wow project. Um, maintain our ethical standards with our models and our um, how we build and, and create our da- our data databases and models, um, and hopefully have a bit of crack along the way as well, because you know yeah. th- that's what it's about. <laughs> and I guess you can look at the, at the pandemic as maybe an opportunity to do things you wouldn't have done and get new clients. In what respect? Like when you were talking about earlier, how you use the services to tell the clients to upsize the downsides, that kind of stuff. You can oh, work. yeah. So in other words, you've got that ability now, you can try to tell these businesses, pandemic it, it, it can can be can help you because it, it can, uh, you can help you reassess what stores should be open or closing. Well, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, it has created that need. It, it's accelerated this requirement not not only from 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 I suppose the, the the changing patterns, but also from changing working patterns. Yeah. I mean, the neighborhoods are different. There's a lot more people working from home, so places that would would not have been seen as opportunities are now huge opportunities yeah. because there's going to be a lot more people there in the daytime. And also, it's a kind of scenario that they've been putting up for for ages. Decisions on, on, on what to close and shut down. Now the pandemic is here. You can more just give them accurately and quickly what they need to know so they can go about doing this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's going to happen across the board in, in banking and, you know, probably the post office at some stage, I imagine. Um, and across the board in retail, we're just going to see less of a need for physical locations. But but others, others coming into the market as well. It won't all be one directional. Um, but there's going to be a change to the, to the retail service landscape in every country in the world, really. And, you know, location intelligence will be central to it. Yeah, and also, because everyone now has got a smart smartphone, it's even easier to order online as well. It is, absolutely. Just think absolutely. of oh, Amazon app, one click, you, you, you can buy stuff. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's, there's nowhere more convenient than your own couch. So, yeah. you know, stores are really up against it in terms of if they're battling on convenience. So they have to go on another tack. And that's really the experience that you can only really get it. Physically in stores. And if you're at home, you um, can sit down over a cup of coffee, or a cup of tea, and, and and view what's online. Whereas in real life, you couldn't do that. No, no, you can't. And there's no and there's no pressure, no stress. Just sit back, relax, and just do what you got to do. Exactly. And, and a happy customer, a happy, convenient, relaxed customer will buy more. <laughs> yeah, and also I guess, if it, as you mentioned earlier about about the experience of shopping online, if it, if it's convenient. And it's safe, and some of they can get into, and the customer is happy. They're going to come back to you. Yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. Well, I guess on that, well, I'll, I'll say thanks very much for a great in, 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 uh, chat, Virgil. Good luck in the future, and hopefully, the uh, one day we'll be able to actually meet up in person rather than virtually, and you're able to get back to meet your clients again. Because I know you're missing that, so am I. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I don't think I don't think we'll ever replace it fully by by, by virtual meetings, but you know, we'll we we'll, we'll do what we can for now. Yeah, all right. Thanks for that. Take care. Lovely meeting you, Ronan. You Thanks too. a lot. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore Tech News on Facebook. 
facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.